Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to episode number 19 of Unformidable. I'm Rob Wolf, and here at Unformidable, we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. So the trade deadline has passed. We touched on it a bit last week, and shockingly, the myths did nothing beyond acquiring and even more shockingly still, is we begin a doubleheader this weekend and four games with the Marlins, who will probably do their best to be a thorn in our side again. But un- even more improbably, it seems to have maybe not been a stupid choice. I'm, I'm not going to ready to do the full-on believing, but I mean, we're three games out of the wild card spot, so I don't feel like I have any choice but to sit back and enjoy it and or be frustrated by it. The trade deadline had me in mind of a lot of different Mets. You know, you don't have to look far and wide in Mets history to look at when trades go wrong. So perhaps uh, trading or not trading at this deadline was not the worst idea in the world. And, you know, I actually, you know, I think people here at Amazing Avenue probably think I'm a bit of a prospect hugger because I was not too crazy about the package we gave up for Cano. But, you know, part I, I actually am starting to feel like maybe the pendulum has swung too far the other way. And, you know, it's kind of absurd if, if the Yankees, for example, who are so much closer to a championship than we are, wouldn't give up two pieces similar to what we did for Marcus Stroman. And if the Mets weren't getting the price they wanted for Zach Wheeler, then fuck it. Yeah, just keep them. Why not? And away we go with this Mets season. But here at Unformidable, we like to look back and uh, one of the players I thought of, just because he was involved in two very prominent trades, even though he was himself not a prominent Met, uh, was today's subject, Mr. Royce Ring. So Royce Ring was born in La Mesa, California. He apparently overcame a little personal tragedy or uh, that he probably wouldn't even remember, but I, I was shocked to read that when he was only 15 months old, his father was killed in a motorcycle accident, and he was raised by his mother and his paternal grandfather, who, you know, both of whom he thanked profusely when uh, he was drafted. And so that was a, a kind of, you know, always nice to see something that humanizes players, especially for me, players that I probably did nothing but grouse about when they were with the Mets. And, you know, it's nice to remember that, you know, they're human. I know, big revelation there, but something that I think I tend to forget, particularly when players annoy me. At any rate, Royce Ring played baseball through high school and college. He attended San Diego State University, where he was a star closer. And in the 2002 Major League Baseball draft, Ring was selected in the first round, 18th overall, by the Chicago White Sox and their GM, Kenny Williams. So I guess Omar and the Mets didn't invent drafting relievers in the first and second round. That was a uh, That was news to me. In the article recapping his drafting for the White Sox, it was noted that Ring was 6 foot, 215 pounds, and that he had dropped 35 pounds since his freshman season, which I thought was kind of notable as a lot of reports when he was with the Mets and that I looked at now noted that his inability or lack of desire to put sufficient effort into maintaining physical fitness and staying in shape seemed to be a a detriment or at least a story that followed him throughout his career, Uh, particularly his career didn't blossom as it hoped. There were a couple of articles uh, noting his 
uh, lack of dedication to fitness, shall we say. But it didn't hold Ring back in his first couple of years in the White Sox organization. He'd zipped up to AA Birmingham within a year plus, uh, but the bloom was an off the rose enough and or uh, the White Sox in 2003 that were battling the Minnesota Twins for first place in the American League Central. So they were buyers at a time when the New York Mets bottoming out behind the immortal Art Howe in 2003 were uh, heading down to last place. And with uh, Steve Phillips getting canned early in June, I believe, uh, the team began efforts to rebuild behind general interim general manager Jim Duquette. So at the time, the Mets had an over-the-hill, underachieving, overpaid second baseman. I know, I know, that sounds impossible, uh, but it was actually the case. This time around, we're talking about Roberto Alomar Jr. And God, I remember the sheer joy I felt when the Mets acquired Roberto Alomar in, I, I think, the offseason before 2002. I mean, I thought we had punched a playoff ticket. Um, so, you know, just goes to show you never really do know. But in a little over a year, Alomar had struggled mightily and was the target of a lot of fan ire. Again, I know it sounds crazy, right? But Jim Duquette's first move as then-interim Mets GM was to ship Alomar to the Chicago White Sox on, I think it was July 1st of 2003. Now here's something that's legitimately surprising. The Mets, believe it or not, paid the remainder of Alomar's $7.7 million salary at the time of the trade. The team who was in last place had the second highest payroll in baseball at the time, $116.9 million on opening day of 2003. So, you know, just goes to show what we could do when that Madoff Ponzi money was still rolling in, I guess. But by picking up that part of the of Alomar salary, the Mets were able to get a decent prospect haul. And the centerpiece of that deal, at least according to Duquette at the time of the trade, was Royce Ring. At the time, he was 22. He had 19 saves and a 2.52 ERA at AA for the White Sox, and he was the player Duquette said he wanted in the trade, uh, and he was deemed to be the surefire Mets closer of the future. Uh, Of course, he never did reach those heights. And fun fact I learned in researching this podcast, Ring learned about the trade in a message from his Birmingham manager, one Wally Backman. So Ring came to the Mets in went right to the minors in 2014, and he started to struggle with his control uh, in in kind of coordination with a drop in his velocity. Uh, He did come up and make his major league debut at the Mets in the 2015 season. Uh, He appeared in two games in late April, then got sent back down before coming up for most of June. While, you know, the Mets still thought of him as more than a loogie, uh, that was more or less how he was employed in 2015, rarely pitching more than an inning, generally less. Uh, he he got recorded three holds that year and two losses over 15 appearances where he pitched only 10 and two-thirds innings. He showed some signs he could be effective. Uh, he held opponents to a 250 batting average, 10 hits, 10 for 40, uh, but he couldn't keep himself out of trouble walking 10 batters over those 10 and two-thirds innings. Seven of those walks came against left-handed hitters, 
which is you know particularly frustrating I think from a lefty and he eventually he wound up recording a 5.06 ERA in 2015 uh, 2005 uh, by 2006 his velocity was still down and his struggles with fitness seemed to have recurred according to the reports I found at that time so he was sent to AAA Norfolk to start the season and the Mets kind of implemented this plan to make Ring more valuable internally and possibly to market him externally by having him change his arm slot to more of like a three-quarters delivery and with the kind of express intent, I think, of making him a loogie. You know, as was clear at that point, uh, future closer was no longer uh, a reason re- realistic job title. He was quite impressive in AAA Norfolk in 2006 uh, he at, at the at the all-star break he was 2-0 with eight saves and a 1.53 ERA made the international league all-star team and he and his fellow Norfolk co-closer uh, a man known as known as uh, a man named Heath Bell dominated AAA that year but neither of them really displayed the results or the stuff that enabled them to really enter the Willie Randolph circle of trust in 2006. So they they both were up and down that year, but really weren't employed in crucial situations. And particularly in Ring's case, it, there really wasn't a clear spot for him on the, that 2006 team, which obviously was incredibly successful. In in your in the bullpen, you know they they didn't call Mr. Feliciano perpetual Pedro for nothing, and and the Mets were. That team, of course, is a rare team with a lefty closer, Billy Wagner. Uh, so with those two kind of dominating the lefty innings in the bullpen, Ring really was, I would say, a poor fit for that 2006 pen, even if he was excelling. Uh, yeah, obviously, I followed the Mets incredibly closely that year. Yeah, I remember going to a ton of games. I was trying to come up with some kind of memorable Ring game or moment, even a blow-up. But I, I really couldn't. And actually, if you, I was going through the game log of his appearances that year, and you'll see those games were mostly blowouts. He he made 11 appearances in 2006, and in seven of those games, the Mets either won or lost by six-plus runs, and Ring really came in in mop-up duty. Uh, statistically, 2006 was the best season of his career. Unfortunately for him, that's not you know, saying a huge ton, but he, he went 12 and a third innings, uh, gave up 10 base runners, seven hits and only three walks, uh, struck out eight, and pitched to a 2.13 ERA, although the 4.65 FIP he put up was, you know, would indicate that that small sample size was a bit lucky. Ring would not make it on to the 2006 postseason roster, and in the 2006 offseason, he would become part of another trade now deemed quite infamous in Mets lore, although at the time it was so obscure and innocuous, it, I, it was hard to find any information on it. I was trying to look look up a take of the trade as of 2006, and I really just couldn't find an article. But on November 15, 2006, in that offseason, the Royce Ring and Heath Bell were traded to the San Diego Padres for outfielder Ben Johnson and relief pitcher John Adkins. I don't even know if they're on the franchise long enough to merit an unformidable because they're those two names are legitimately unformidable to me and in, in that they're incredibly forgettable. Bell, unfortunately, would not be forgettable. He would go on to a successful closing career, uh, so much so that it probably puts him out of unformidable territory. 
Uh, yeah, just a brief note on him. I, I, you probably could do a whole podcast on him, but uh, he, he spent most of 2005 and 2006 shuttling between the mitts. And Norfolk himself, uh, he was an undrafted free agent who had really good minor league numbers and was told by coaches in the Met organization that a lot of people in the organization didn't believe in him and his best opportunity to succeed would be to leave, which uh, unfortunately turned out to be all too true. Now, I wasn't in the Mets organization. Oh, that would be a dream. But my memory is not believing in Heath Bell either. I remember finding him very frustrating and hittable. And at first glance, I, I took a quick look at his numbers in 2006, and they, they looked very poor. But through 29 innings in early September, he actually had a 2.79 ERA and a 3.32 XFIP. He, there were two late September blowups where he allowed 11 runs over three innings, which left him with an ERA over five. And it couldn't help me thinking that if Heath Bell blossomed a little sooner or people in the organization had more belief in him or that those blowups didn't happen, maybe we wouldn't have seen so much Guillermo Mota in the 2006 postseason. Maybe there'd be a flag flying over Shea the following year and a much different story to tell here. But I'm... Unfortunately, not here to tell that story. Uh, but Heath Bell would obviously find himself in San Diego. Uh, Royce Ring, unfortunately, did not. His control problems resurfaced, and he threw all of 15 innings for the Padres in 2007, and he walked 14 batters in that time. He got shipped to the Atlanta Braves at the 2007 trade deadline, where he would pitch better for them down the stretch as they tried to catch the Mets and the Phillies in the NL East that year but he would have a terrible 2008 for the Braves and be released at the end of the season. There are almost always infinite job opportunities for left-handed pitchers, and Ring did manage to latch on in a you know minor league capacity, get invited to spring training, and spend time in the minors with a bunch more organizations. The In order, I think it was the Cardinals, Yankees, Mariners, Red Sox, and Rockies. But after 2008, he recorded only two and a third more Major League innings in late 2000 with the New York Yankees, and 2012 with the Rockies was his last year with a Major League organization. Although he did pitch his last professional, shall we say, he did, he did pitch his last ball where almost all unforbettable, almost all unformidable Mets go to retire our very own Bizarro Mets Field of Dreams, if you will, the Long Island Ducks, where Ring pitched a bit in 2013. For his career, Royce Ring recorded a negative 0.9 war, according to baseball reference. He recorded a 3-3 three three record, uh, 5.29 ERA. Uh, he appeared in 99 games and pitched 68 innings. And sadly, the closer of the future for the White Sox, and then the Mets never did record a major league save. His Met numbers actually were better than his career numbers, but you know, as I said, were kind of not very memorable. Uh, he did record a 0.4 war, according to baseball reference, for the Mets, and he went 0-2 for the Mets with a 3.47 ERA in 23 and a third inning pitched. 23 and a third innings pitched. And if you thought... His Met journey ended there, which I did. You'd be wrong. Royce Ring is currently a pitching coach in the Mets organization. He started out in the Gulf Coast League in 2016. Uh, he moved to Brooklyn in 2017 and is currently the pitching coach of your Columbia Fireflies. Go Colaflies. 
So even if Royce Ring didn't have a major impact at the major league level as a New York Met, perhaps he's molding the hearts and minds and arms of our future pitching stars. Tempted to be mean and throw in a those who can't do teach reference here, but I already discussed that players are human and Royce Ring pitched in the major leagues uh, for for a number of years. So kudos to him and thank you for for a brief time being an unformidable member of the New York Mets, Royce. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content and follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe. Please leave a review if that's possible. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thanks again, and as always, let's go Mets!